Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on Shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, you can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here. Uh, Travis Morningstar is a little under the weather today. You might hear him speak up every now and again, or you may never hear him talk again. Hmm. Oh, well, that's kind of in between. Perfect. Hope everyone is having a wonderful day. Um, This is going to be a great episode. A little bit later on, I'm going to speak with my friend Megan Yebos. I think we're losing the conversation in this country about sexual assault. Uh, Megan Yebos is the co-founder of the People for the Enforcement of Rape Laws, or PERL. So stick around for that interview. I think it's really powerful. She talks about her experience and um, what we can do. To help, Uh, obviously talking about this so-called backlog, we really get into it. Uh, It's not a backlog if no one is working on it. So she brings up some great points. Be sure to listen to that. I also want to talk about the Electoral College today. Thanks for everyone who put out their tweets. I said, tweet at me. What do you think about the Electoral College? Um, And a lot of people commented on my tweet. So I will read a few of those. I also want to talk about this bill that's being endorsed by uh, Dick Blumenthal, Catherine Mortez Masto, Amy Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren, and others, Marco Rubio, and others. It's U.S. S-2080. And now basically this bill would, uh, it's under the guise of human trafficking, of course, but what it would do to sex workers is uh, damaging. It would no longer allow them to deal with banks. It would take away some of their money. They made, you know, this would affect uh, people who work on cameras for the cam girls or the cam guys. Uh, This would affect um, sex workers who do more traditional forms of sex work. It would really negatively affect them. So I will, I mean, honestly, I kind of just talked about it. It's S2080. Look into it again. It's hard to say, oh, I'm going to vote against a human trafficking bill, but oftentimes the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And in this case, this bill will negatively affect sex uh, sex workers all across the country. So we have to remember uh, there are marginalized groups of people in this country that continue to get the brunt or have uh, get the bad side or be on the bad side of a lot of legislation because people don't want to talk about sex workers. They don't want to defend sex workers. Women don't want to talk about sex workers because uh, they're maybe concerned that their husband might be seeing one. And a husband doesn't want to talk about sex workers or a boyfriend or just a single man because they're ashamed that they would go see one. So they're both sides 
kind of silent on the issue when it comes to protecting um, people who are in the sex industry. Uh, USS 2080, look into that bill. I also want to talk about what's going on in Colorado right now. It's an interesting gun bill. It's called the Red Flag Legislation. Uh, the Senate voted to pass it 18 to 17, so I will get into some detail on that. All right, so let's start with the Electoral College. Now, of course, this is, once again, uh, it's in vogue to discuss. Uh, there are some people running for office that say they want to do away with it and go with the popular vote. I'll read a couple of tweets here. Uh, and then, of course, there are some other people who say uh, we need to keep it because we have to protect the small states and we don't want to have uh, tyranny uh, from New York and California. That's what they that's what their argument would be. So we'll get into that. Let's read a couple of tweets here. So the first tweet coming in from Matthew Perry. No, not the star of Friends. Evidently, he's a history teacher at History Teach 24. Matthew Perry says this. The Electoral College helps the smaller states to actually matter even a little. California would elect every president with the popular vote. Now, of course, that is a commonly held sentiment. I would push back just slightly on that because as we saw with Ronald Reagan, let's not forget, California voted for Ronald Reagan, not only as governor, but as president twice. There are a lot more conservatives in New York State and in California. And right now what's happening is because the states are so solidly blue, a lot of these conservatives stay at home. They don't go to the polls and they decide, you know, what's the point? Because this state has already had a predetermined outcome. I think if you did go with the popular vote, you'd see a lot more Republican candidates out in Northern California, out in New York State, perhaps not in New York City, but out in New York State, getting those votes of people who feel marginalized and feel as if they're completely... Um, their voice is just completely mute because, again, the state is so blue. So that sentiment is oftenly uh, expressed. But I think that it would change with the popular vote. I think it would just change the way that politicians campaign. And therefore, I think it would just change the face of the electorate. So thank you so much for uh, for that point of view, uh, Mr. Perry. This is according to let's do uh, let's do a one here from Yikes McGee uh, at Gray Moon Cult. Thank you so much. Um, Yikes McGee at Gray Moon Cult for uh, tweeting at me. So uh, I believe it's she. She says, the Electoral College is the enemy of democracy. The popular vote should be the only decider. Someone who loses by three million plus votes should not be in office. You know, that is one of the interesting things about Donald Trump, because when he was talking about the Electoral College in 2015, 2016, he was like, I'm fine with getting rid of it. He yeah. didn't like it. But I guarantee you, I guarantee you right now. He has changed his tune a little bit on that. So one of the interesting things about it, I'll get back to some tweets here in a second, but one of the interesting things about the Electoral College, now this is a pro-argument uh, for it. This was according to Alexander Hamilton. So this is what he had to say, and I think you'll find it uh, you know, kind of ironic. It's also written in like... I don't know, old old white dude English, so it's like weird. Um, but this is what he had to say. He says, if not 
perfect, it is at least excellent because according to him, and now there's, this is where the irony kicks in here for, the, for those people. He says, because the Electoral College ensures that the office of the president will never fall to the lot of any man who is not in an eminent degree endowed with the requisite qualifications. So let's just break that down to modern English. We're not going to have a doofus. We're not going to have some president who has zero, zero ability to actually politic or resonate with the American people. That was Alexander Hamilton's reason for the Electoral College. But as we have seen in modern history, uh, whether it be, you know, uh, 2000 or uh, with with uh, George W. Bush or whether it be uh, with Donald Trump, sometimes you don't get the brightest bulb because of the Electoral College. But that was, of course, Alexander Hamilton's pro argument. Now, a con argument or an argument to say, get rid of that one vote, one person is the reasons why the founding fathers created the Electoral College in the first place. They basically aren't relevant anymore. Modern technology allows voters to get necessary information to make informed decisions in a way that could not have been foreseen by the founding fathers. Uh, Alexander Hamilton in in 1788 saw the electors as, quote, being free from any sinister bias. Is that still the case? I don't know. Look no further than what happened with the DNC in 2016 when all of a sudden Hillary had these superdelegates before we had a vote in Iowa, and then voters are like, what happened? Why why is that happening? Uh, You wonder if there's some sinister bias there. So why did that happen with Hillary Clinton? Well, that is because... Members of the Electoral College are now selected by the political parties and they are expected to just vote along party lines. I mean, they don't have the the will of the people in mind. They have the will of the party in mind. So that has changed. Yeah, it seems like to me, like the way voting works is you're in a red or blue state and then you sort of give a suggestion of a vote and then like a shadowy figure, like a Bill Ingvall in a cloak says, here's your vote. Yep, absolutely. Here's your sign and here's your vote. But there has already been changes made uh, to the Electoral College. Of course, let's not forget about the constitutional amendment that allows women and former slaves the right to vote. And senators, once appointed by state legislators, are now elected directly by the popular vote. So we've already seen that change when it comes to senators. And let's also not forget the vice president was once awarded to the runner-up Uh, in the Electoral College, but now, obviously, uh, that has completely changed. Can you imagine if Donald Trump had Hillary Clinton as a vice president? I would have a feeling that um, it would be it would be like spy versus spy <laughs> as she tries to kill him every single day of his presidency. So that's a little pro and con for and against uh, the Electoral College. And I'm going to say, if I have to judge on this one, I'm going to give this to the get rid of it group, the con of getting rid of of the Electoral College, because once again, Alexander Hamilton's major reason why he wanted it was because uh, to to make sure that the office of the president will never fall to the lot of any man who is not in an eminent degree endowed with the requisite qualifications. And you could argue uh, that that is just a little bit of what we have. It broke. It may have broke ever so slightly. So let's go back and read some tweets. All right, so here we go. This tweet comes in from Jeremy Merrickin at Jay Merrickin. He says, get rid of it. 
The argument that major cities would be the only people campaign to rings hollow since that's already the case for swing states instead of population centers, even if that is what would happen. And that's another strong case to just do away with it because right now, what do we have? We talk about ad nauseum swing states. Mm -hmm. Everything's about the swing states. Ohio has so much power because it's a swing state. Wisconsin now has a lot of power because it's a swing state. And I think it's great that people campaign in those places. You have to do it. But I don't believe doing away with the EC would stop politicians from going and campaigning in those states. They still have huge population centers. Um, Yes, it would probably change the significance to some degree or how much they campaign. But once again, I think if the electorate felt as if their vote mattered, I think if they felt one vote, uh, one person, one vote, I think voter turnout would skyrocket in this country. I really do. Uh, Now, of course, we talk about voter turnout sometimes in the low 40s, low 60s, 50s, if we're doing all right. And I know that number is low. Talking about what we were just discussing, California, New York, Texas, another one, although that's turning a little bit more purple, but definitely still has much more of a reddish hue. These states would see a population center really feel like they matter again or for the first time. So I think we would see voter turnout rise, which, of course, is something that many politicians don't want. We have to remember that politicians who are weighing in on this uh, topic um, are all elected to office. And certainly if a president is going to weigh in on this office, like a Donald Trump or a George W. Bush, someone who did not win the popular vote, which has only happened four times in American history, I have a feeling they're going to veto anything yeah. because they know exactly how they got there, which makes which is why this is such a difficult thing to change. And of course, as you know, this country is a titanic and it is uh, extremely difficult to have any major change happen, it takes a long, long freaking time. Also, I would suggest removing the Electoral College from the equation. I think you also have uh, politicians campaigning differently mm-hmm. in places because you, you get all these. You totally would. You, you, you get all these politicians that say, like, you know, I'm working to improve X community. I'm working to improve the people of X community. Right. And they're not talking about policies, which would be sort of a blanket thing for the entire country. Yeah, you do wonder if, as we saw now with the Democratic candidates, they're at the National Action Network. Of course, Al Sharpton, a controversial figure. That That's fair to say. Uh, I've met him a couple of times. Um, you wonder if they would have to do things like that or if they can do more direct democracy as opposed to looking at voting groups and saying this is a this is this was the problem with Hillary Clinton's campaign. They were looking at groups through a uh, Excel spreadsheet as opposed to this is going to sound creepy, but looking through the window of their house, you know, like looking at like what is actually happening in the lives of these people as opposed to just looking at more of a macro view of how people tend to work and vote in groups. Yeah, and, and instead of promising um, Annapolis, Maryland, a sea world, you're like talking about actual policies in healthcare. Like, I, it, hyper specifying your policies to a community because you know that's the voting block you need right. is craven and cynical. And, and well, that's what the Electoral College uh, it. it requires and necessitates it does and it's also really offensive to think that certain people are just monolithic voting groups um they are not 
people. There are, you know, I talk about this all the time. I was pitching a show uh, just recently uh, just about people that aren't uh, talked about in the political realm. For example, I know for a fact, um, because I had a, a message from them, there's a transgender person, I believe from upstate New York, who is also extremely pro-life. Why can't we have a conversation with an individual like that? People are, and this is the one thing, mm. or this is a thing, that Donald Trump hit on was like, when we talk about he's a political ping pong when it comes to ideology, that's the way most people are. Yeah. You know, that's just, that's the reality of that. And I think if we went with a popular vote, uh, a politician could really go in and come up with a unique platform that isn't necessarily a platform that is beneficial with the electoral college system. This is according to Claire on Twitter at Dainty Pirate. She says, "Let it die." The electoral <laughs> college made sense when we ta- when we tallied paper votes and reported them by horse delivery. Direct election is fair, reasonable, and technologically possible. We deserve to be free of this vote dilution. And of course, that was what I was mentioning uh, just a little bit earlier regarding going away or doing away with the EC because when the founding fathers came up with it, uh, perhaps it was a smart plan to ensure that there wasn't uh, a tyranny of the majority. But now we have perhaps in some ways, some might argue a tyranny of the minority that is possible. So let's go into another uh, pro reason to take it. The electoral college ensures that all parts of the country are involved in selecting the president of the United States. If the election depended solely on the popular vote, then candidates could limit campaigning to heavy, heavily populated areas or specific regions to win the election. Presidential candidates need need electoral votes from multiple regions, and therefore they build campaign platforms with a national focus, meaning that the winner will actually be serving the needs of the entire country. So, for example, uh, Ohio factory workers, uh, would they be uh, completely ignored if there was a popular vote as opposed to the EC? And would they just focus on uh, massive, massive urban developments? That is one of the reasons some folks say keep the Electoral College. Now, against that argument, something we kind of talked about a little bit earlier here is too much power has been given to so-called swing states and allows the presidential election to be decided by just a handful of states. And as we saw in 2016, when Donald Trump won the presidency, the Electoral College, he won in a landslide, Mm -hmm. a landslide win. I mean, really, I think he got over 300. And then, of course, he lost by 3 million votes. And the only reason he got what looked to be a landslide was because of 1,800 votes. So that's kind of another reason to do away with the Electoral College is that we are now giving so much responsibility to parts of this country. And is that fair? Is that fair when three million votes didn't matter? Is that fair? That's the big question. Um, The two main political parties can count on winning the electoral votes in certain states, again, such as California for the Democratic Party, Indiana, that's a Republican Party, you got that on lock, without worrying about the actual popular vote totals because of the Electoral College, presidential candidates only need to pay attention to a limited number of states. This is according to a 2016 episode of PBS NewsHour. They revealed that Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton have made more than 90% of their campaign stops in just 11, take that into account, Trump and Clinton 
made 90% of their campaign stops in just 11 battleground states. Of those visits, nearly two-thirds took place in the four battlegrounds with the most electoral votes. And of course, that's Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and North Carolina. So again, to me, it seems like it might be more democratic, would definitely be more democratic to just say, Electoral College, thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for everything you've done. But now we need to move on to a popular vote because the irony of, of course, the idea that then people would just look at the coasts or places like Texas, uh, just big population centers. Now, again, 90 percent of the campaigning done in just 11, I, 11 states. It what is does that? not. 10 percent of the, what is that? About 20. It's like 22 percent of the states. It does not surprise me. And, it, and, and this sort of like listlessness and, and um, disenchantment with the voting process. Of course. Must have happened like it should have happened years ago because you're in a state where you're not considered a battleground which is like condescending in itself like the only place that this politician needs to go work their magic and instead you see hillary clinton doing the tootsie roll on ellen right and sharing hot sauce with the breakfast club when you should be talking about the issues and i it it just i agree it, it amazes me that this disenchantment hasn't sort of exploded even earlier even earlier yeah sure than 2016 uh, let's go back to Twitter here real quick. Peter Lucchesi at Arenas415 says, One person equals one vote. Under the EC, some votes count more than others. People are more important than land. And Ben Blair says, and this is obviously a Henry Zabrowski fan, says, The reptilians own us. Let's signal the Nordics. Let's signal the Nordics uh, for help. So thank you all so much. Uh, for submitting. Let me find one more. Andrea Shaw. This is at Andrea Shaw underscore 90. Yeah, the EC seems like an injustice, but I cannot see our government leaders ever agreeing enough to change something so monumental to the American voting system. So realistically, doing away with it is probably not an option. And Andrea Shaw bringing a dose of realism to the conversation. Because I think that's probably the case. I've got a. I'm actually looking at another tweet here. Uh, at real Donald Trump Uh-oh. says uh, the electoral college is all that and a bag of chips. Oh my God! And you know how much he loves all of that and a bag of chips. So just lastly, um, if the this is a, another pro to keep the electoral college. If the election were based on popular vote, it would be possible for a candidate to receive the highest number of popular votes without actually obtaining a majority. This happened with Richard Nixon and of course in 1968, and of course with Bill Clinton in 1992. Um, obviously, with Bill Clinton, he had Ross Perot kind of splitting up the votes. One of the biggest lies in political history, I was actually talking to Dana Perino about this, is the idea that Ross Perot cost George H.W. the election, when in reality, the states where Perot did best, Florida and Texas, H.W. won, and the exit polling data suggested that he took uh, around 50-50 when people said, would they have voted for Bush if not for Perot? Or Clinton, if not for Perot. The, about 50% were like, I'd go Clinton, and 50% said I would go with HW. And just lastly, here we go when it comes to saying, do away with it. There are, there are over 300 million people in the United States, but just 538 of them, 538 people 
decide who will be president. In 2016, again, Hillary won by 3 million votes. Even President Donald Trump said he wants to do away with it. This is according to Donald Trump. He said, I would rather see it where you went with simple votes. You know, you get 1 million, 100 million votes and somebody else gets 90 million votes and you win. Just as in 2000, when George W. Bush received fewer nationwide popular votes than uh, Al Gore did. So there you go. Little conversation on the Electoral College. Did that make sense, Travis? Hell no. I mean, yes. It did? <laughs> well, the th- I, my question I is I hope like, it made some sense. Well, do we know who the electors are? Do we generally know who these people are? Well, you you do know because that's what happened when it comes to Roger Stone in, um, in 2000 when he orchestrated the coup in Florida. Of course, Catherine uh, Harris was the one who purged the 90,000 people from the voting rolls, giving... George W. Bush even a shot at winning the state. I mean, it was so nefarious, it was ridiculous. But he did know where these people were standing. As a matter of fact, uh, he did the same thing with Donald Trump in 2016 for the RNC convention. He said, we're going to go knock on their doors. We're going to camp outside their doors. If they don't vote with the will of the people, with the will of the party, they're going to be destroyed. So, yeah, you do know who they well, are. Cause, yeah, because my question, you know, uh, the direct democracy option, which is like one person, one vote. The one of the the sort of criticisms uh, criticisms of that is that there's a large chance of fraud, but like, you know, this whole idea of voting fraud is one of the biggest lies of all time. Uh, we, when we talk with uh, Robert Fitrakis, the big voting fraud is these corporations, privately owned. Mitt Romney was on the board of one of them that create and sell and um, know the inner workings of our voting machines. Yeah. That's where yeah. voting, that's where, if you look at vote flipping, if you look at vote stripping, that's what we saw in 2000. A lot of people that's, believe that's what we saw in 2004 regarding John Kerry and George W. Bush when they did the votes in Ohio. Next thing you know, I think they went down to South Carolina and they came back with the opposite revol- results. And all of a sudden, George W. Bush yeah. won in, in, the, in a dark back room somewhere. So that, that is voting fraud. The idea that people would go vote illegally is so absurd. We can't get people to vote legally. It's the (laughs) dumbest thing I have ever heard. Donald Trump's version or vision of what voter fraud is, where all these undocumented people, we've talked about this, would go and vote when anyone with a brain knows undocumented people don't really like to go to government facilities or to go to a place where they can be uh, detained by law enforcement. So that idea is completely an insane. To me, it almost seems like, yeah, well, that was one of the criticisms of direct sort of democracy voting. But like, it seems to me that fraud is even probably probably even more readily available in in the electoral college sense you only have to you only have to fiddle with i love that word fiddle with to fiddle with 11 states as we just heard 90 percent of the campaign from from uh hillary to donald were done in the swing states 11 swing states or even my imagination goes to like can you lobby those those electors in any way. Well, that was the big concern, mostly with the RNC. But as we saw with the DNC, again, not to do 2016 all over again here, but Bernie had a hell of a complaint to make when he's like, this whole thing is rigged, this whole thing is a fraud. Because, again, when she has a couple hundred of vote, uh, electoral votes, super delegate votes, before a freaking vote is cast, that seems kind of fraudulent can you, to can me. Can you show up to an elector's house with a bottle of Cavassier and a TiVo and be like, hey. Hey, buddy. 
Do you want to? Are you sure you want to vote that way? I couldn't swoon him, but I know your charm, Travis. I think you could swoon him for sure. All right. Well, that's our small discussion on the Electoral College. My official stance is um, I have no problem with the EC being done away with. And then, of course, my more skeptical mind is I don't know if it will ever happen, but I definitely think it's something we need to debate and honestly debate and see if we can't start getting some resolutions through because it would be nice to have every vote count. And as someone who is now stuck in the blue state of New York, it would be really fun to just have a more, I don't know, just more energy and more excitement uh, to vote. Not that I would necessarily vote for the Republican or anything, but it would. Not, it's just nice not to be like, no, I, it's just not exciting. When you're in Ohio, politics are exciting because they're like, ooh, we better follow, we matter. And I think people get so turned off by politics just because they don't feel like they have a voice. And you know what, folks? In a sad sad way, yeah. many people literally do not. When P. Diddy so, tells me to rock the vote, I want to feel that. I want to feel I, it. I, I want to feel it, because, but I don't because I know that some people's votes are just nothing. They're just they yeah. just go into a, an, a, a shredder. Yep, basically. Um, but that does not mean you should not vote. You still have to vote for your own personal self-worth so you can feel like you contributed. At least that's what my immigrant father always said, and that's why I do it. All right. Well, speaking of votes, this is an interesting story out of Colorado. The Colorado Senate has passed a red flag gun bill. So what is the red flag gun bill? Uh, this was a Senate bill that was voted on 18 to 17 to pass the bill that would create a legal framework for judges to order the removal of firearms from people they determined to be at risk of harming themselves or others. Senate President Leroy Garcia, he's a Democrat, uh, was the only Democrat to vote against it. The bill heads back to the Colorado House to see whether representatives approve of a few changes made by the Senate. If the House does approve those changes, it will go to the desk of Governor Jared Polis. So here's where it stands now. Under this bill, law enforcement, a family member or a household member could petition a judge for the removal of a person's firearms. The judge would then hold a hearing without the gun owner being present to decide whether to grant a temporary order for up to 14 days. During those two weeks, the gun owner and the petitioner would try to convince the judge why those weapons should or shouldn't be returned. The judge would then decide to end the order and return the weapons or extend it for up to 364 days. The bill also allows the gun owner to request a court-appointed attorney. The bill says a petitioner must prove a preponderance of the evidence that someone is at risk to themselves or others before a judge can issue a temporary 14-day order. The burden of proof rises to clear and convincing evidence at the second hearing. So this is obviously a controversial bill for many people. And of course, the idea of going in, raiding someone's house and, and taking their guns, it does not it doesn't really sound great. But at the same time, when we talk about the mental health issues, as we talked about um, with the Parkland shooting, Nicholas Cruz, you have to have proactive action to to stop uh, a mass shooter. You really do, because obviously when the shooting is happening. Uh, when the bullets are flying, when the kids are in the closet crying, uh, it's too late. It's the, it is gone on. It is happening now. So the controversy is 
there's somebody that is dangerous with the gun. We want to take the gun away well, from him. Well, I think the controversy is who is the person who is bringing this complaint? Now, is it possible that maybe you're just in a feud with a neighbor and then you're like, I don't like Billy. I'm going to go make sure they don't they take his guns away. And But I'll still have my guns and I'm going to go kill Billy. There's a lot of sort of made-up scenarios in the minds of people. Um, so... That is a concern. I mean, honestly, I don't really need my neighbor telling me that I'm not stable enough to have a gun. Um, at the same time, we also have people who are not stable enough to have a gun. So it sounds to me like if we can at least attempt to trust our judicial system, which I know it can be hard, as we'll uh, listen to in the interview with Megan Yebos here in a second. Um, if the judge is you know, taking into uh, consideration the Second Amendment, you, you are... You know, innocent until proven guilty. You do have a constitutional right, as we've talked about. Again, you technically have a constitutional right for a for a musket, but that's a whole other story. Um, if they do take that into account, and if we can trust the the mind of this judge to not just you know go willy nilly and just start taking people's guns away, I think that this is a proactive step to perhaps saving lives. Well, yeah, you know, I could just I could just try to commit you, Ben. Like I could try to get you committed right now. I could try. You could. But then they would. You, you could probably have a strong case for it and too. They, and I would have a somewhat strong case. Yeah, sure. But at the end of the day, you wouldn't be committed because you're not technically insane. Well, that is where that, of course, is where some of the controversy lies. As a, as a matter of fact, a Colorado sheriff said, "quote He would rather go to jail than seize firearms under the state's <laughs> red flag law." So this Come is what he has on. to say. Uh, since the Parkland mass shooting uh, in 2018, at least nine states have passed legislation allowing police to seize guns from people found to pose a significant danger to themselves or others. And again, I understand. I, I the, the police are militarized, and I get there are a lot of people who want their, want their Glocks and their AKs just in case they have a Bill Cooper situation mm-hmm. and the cops are coming, uh, you know, like a Ruby Ridge, uh, to take their families away. That's that's the mentality of a lot of these people, and I I understand. You watch, uh, you know, um, do not resist. I believe is the name of the documentary. Um, it, it is the the militarization of police is a very real thing. So I get on its face being like, oh, that doesn't sound good. Cops coming to seize guns, but then also we have to remember there are some dangerous people who don't need an AR-15. There are some Stephen Paddocks out there who aren't going to Las Vegas to gamble. They're going there to shoot 58 people and kill, uh, to shoot hundreds of people and kill 58. So we have to remember that as well and kind of have a, again, as I do with moderation and sort of being a moderate, we have to remember real-life situations occur, and it's not always the cops just coming to take your guns with a tank. Yeah, I just think about it as like an episode of uh, Deadwood, and it's just like Uncle Schmucky is shooting the saddles off of horses. Should we take the guns away from him? And it's like, yeah, the, take the gun away from Uncle Schmucky. Well, Uncle Schmucky probably needs a gun or two. But the Democratic-controlled le- legislator sent the bill to the Colorado governor, Jared Polis. Uh, Polis, Polis, P-O-L-I-S. Uh, he's a Democrat who was expected to sign the bill. The bill inspired by the 2017 fatal shooting of a deputy who sought to assist a mentally ill man would allow police and family members to petition courts to temporarily seize guns from people deemed dangerous. 
but not if this can help. Okay, so there's a there's a point counterpoint, as always with politics. There is a thing called Second Amendment sanctuaries. In anticipation of this bill's passage, half of the state's 64 county governments have now passed a sanctuary city for guns. Oh my! Isn't sweet it amazing? They don't want God. them for immigrants. They don't want them for farm workers. They want sanctuary cities yeah, for let's guns. Let's put all the guys with guns into a bubble. <laughs> hey man, sometimes you can't make this isn't shit just, up. Isn't a gun sanctuary just like a laser tag arena? Yeah, it could be, but with guns. Um, in anticipation of the bill's passage, half of the state's 64 county governments have now passed resolutions indicating that they do not wish to enforce the red flag law or will not, quote, infringe on the right of the people to keep and bear arms. One such sanctuary, one such sanctuary is Weld County, the state's leading cattle raiser on the border of Wyoming and Nebraska. The sheriff there is Steve Reams, who has emerged as perhaps the loudest voice opposing uh, this law. This is according to Reams. This is what he had to say. He says uh, it was about due process for gun owners, something he believes is missing from the red flag legislation. This is a quote from him. He says, if a judge issues an order saying a person can't possess weapons and also compels law enforcement to perform a search warrant to seek out those guns, I believe that's a violation of a person's constitutional rights. He goes on to say, I have a hard choice at that point. I can potentially violate someone's constitutional rights or I can violate a court order. I would rather be on the side of violating a court order than someone's constitutional rights. So that is according to Reams, a Colorado uh, sheriff. Interesting legislation that has passed in nine states, the red flag law. I do not have a problem with the idea of having a little hold period. Sometimes people do break. Again, with Stephen Paddock, all of a sudden, a year before he shoots up Las Vegas, he's buying a gun a week, you know, or a gun a month. He bought about 10 guns that year. And um, you do have to wonder um, if that was something that could have been stopped if people were like, why is my brother or why is my dad or why is my son or daughter or mother um, or sister? Why are they starting to hoard guns? Why are they starting to sort of get off the rails a little bit? I understand this is a very tricky subject because, again, we don't want to violate people's constitutional rights. But at the same time, uh, we cannot abide another mass shooting. And as we've talked about on the last episode, I think the last time we had a real opportunity to do anything about gun violence was after Columbine. So um, I, I have been asked to leave fine dining restaurants because I have had a hole in the crotch of my jeans. Sure. Could we not just... Well, I mean, it was in the front of your jeans. I do think that that's is, illegal and you weren't is, wearing well, underwear. I, yeah, but, yeah. but we, can't, we can't stop a guy from buying his 10th assault rifle and throwing a wig on it and pretending like it's his wife. I like, don't know. That's 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 out of the, the, the that's too crazy to stop that guy. It's hard to explain to other countries. That's for damn sure that that is like so that's all good. You can't you know in this whole idea of constitutionality as we've talked about before. But the constitution has a lot of different limitations. You have to be 18 to vote. You uh you know for a long time there was uh, limitations on race and gender when it comes to voting. The Constitution has a lot of caveats that technically would be anti-not constitutional. The right um, of illegal search and seizure, which I would assume is sort of in this conversation as well. But as we're seeing, as we have seen, uh, cops, you know, you see it all the time. You see it all the time. Cops 
entering places, you know, not uh, upholding uh, that that constitutional amendment. And obviously, as we saw, when it comes to the death penalty, the Eighth Amendment, cruel and uh, cruel and unusual punishment, you know, just ask the people who have been stick, stuck with a needle uh, and the drugs didn't work and they, they suffered for 15 minutes as they burned from the inside out. So it's not like this. I believe in a living constitution. And I believe that we need to have a constitution that is up to date with modern society. But That's all. Is it this? Is it the average American's lack of electoral power, of economic power? Is it the, the lack of power in general that makes them so hesitant and reluctant to give up this actual physical killing machine? Is yeah, that what it, it is? Could, well, that's what they, you know, it is a thing that people, you know, that's why when the farmer in, um, in uh, New Zealand gave up his gun, literally one of the things that someone tweeted was, are you going to cut your dick off now? I yeah. mean, these th- it really is an extension of their power. And I think that's a good point, Travis. I think people feel so powerless that they have to uh, grab onto this gun and then they can feel like they finally have a say in the issue. So maybe you go with the popular vote, try to get more people involved in the political process, more people feeling like they have a say in the game. And then perhaps uh, owning a gun might not be that other than, again, if you're a rancher, if you want to go hunt, all that stuff, of course. But I'm talking about the people who are But if you could manipulate the reality of your country and what is happening to you, what the, the, the top-down power structure that's happening, if you could manipulate that, you probably don't feel like firing a, a desert eagle into the sky. Well, you always kind of I feel mean, like doing you that. Always but, yeah. do, no, but, I absolutely agree. But I in Red agree. Dead, not in real life. Red Dead's a great game. Also playing, uh, yeah, what is it, District 2, Tom Clancy's District 2. Very Mm. difficult, very Mm. difficult. Um, All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening. So now I'm going to speak with Megan Yebos again. She is the co-founder of the People for the Enforcement of Rape Laws, or PEARL. And I just want to have this conversation, obviously, as we're talking about what's going on with, uh, with Joe Biden. Obviously, there is copious amounts of footage of Creepy Joe being Creepy Joe living up uh, to that name. But, of course, is this a disqualifying factor in a binary choice before be, between Donald Trump and Joe Biden? I think that the uh, the choice is clear uh, regarding who is the biggest creep. Uh, but then again, I don't want to have a I don't want to go back to 2016 and have a hold your nose election. But anyway, this yeah. is just you know, this is just coming up now. And it's actually probably good that it comes up now because, without a doubt, this was something that was going to come up. I mean, we all knew that was going to happen. Oh, yeah. The writing was on the wall two years ago. Um, So Joe Biden did address it. He said, social norms have begun to change. They've shifted. He said, and the boundaries of protecting personal space have been reset. And I get it. I get it. I hear what they're saying. I understand it. And I'll be more mindful. That's my responsibility. Some people were upset that he didn't outright apologize. Uh, Lucy Flores, a former Nevada uh, Nevada Assemblywoman and 2014 Lieutenant Governor candidate, um, she kind of drove the discussion talking about how he, uh, you know, rubbed her shoulders and and breathed on her hair and did creepy Joe Biden creepy stuff. Um, And again, we have a president who bragged about true sexual assault and grabbing people by the vaginas. So, you know, creepy Joe is going to be the baggage that Joe Biden has. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Elizabeth Warren, I, I, was, I was speaking with an activist um, at my friend Bitsy's uh, 40th birthday party, uh, an African-American gal out of California. She really is upset with Elizabeth Warren and the whole Native American thing. That was a huge issue for her. Of course, Kamala Harris has the baggage of being extremely aggressive on criminal justice. 
literally threatening a homeless woman with prison. I uh, don't think that's the best idea. Cory Booker. Uh, I was just talking with someone who worked uh, with him in 2016. I don't know what's going on with the Rosaria <laughs> Dawson thing, but she was sort of like, you know, he doesn't really, he's not that into Rosaria, you know. And he's gay. Cory Booker is gay. Whoa. That is, <laughs> it is not a shock. Does Everyone knows this. Is that really, is, that's not your real reaction, right? I didn't know that. No, everyone I mean, knows no, that. I thought he was a dork. I thought he no. was. No. Anyway, I'm not, maybe. Rosario I, Dawson, I mean. Okay, I'll. I I'm thought, just saying the Rosario Dawson thing. I'm just going to say it might be a smokescreen. That's all I'm going to say. No, I thought he was going to start dating Rosario Dawson and realize that the presidency doesn't really matter. And he's just no. going to have a happy life with Rosario. <sighs> no, I don't. I don't know. All right. Well, um, <laughs> no, you know, everyone you're going for that. You know, um, obviously, uh, what's going on now with um, Pete Buttigieg, the uh, the mayor there of South Bend, he's had some... Uh, he w- he worked with the McKinsey Foundation, which is a problematic uh, foundation, very conservative, and a lot of people think that was wrong for him to work there or for them. So anyway, a lot of people. Everyone is uh, bad. Everyone has. Well, they're not all bad. They're people. And jo- people jo- have good and bad parts of their uh, of who they are. And we elect people, not robots. And quite frankly, I want to say, you know, and this is not in the context of the Biden thing. But um, with automation on the rise, with people feeling less connected than ever, I don't know. A little hug it can go a long way. When we do our meet and greets, mm-hmm. I, you know, I like to hug people. People are like, I want one of them big Ben Kissel hugs. And I just feel like it makes people feel good. Human contact is not bad. Now, I'm not talking about it when it comes to some random weirdo grabbing your shoulders and breathing down your hair. I just want to remind people, though, human contact is good and it makes you feel good because we're human. We are animals and we are pack animals and we need that. So let's not lose sight of um, of us loving each other and we can, we can give hugs. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, not in the context of anything unwanted. But, but, but I just I like I like the hugs. I like to hug the fans and the fans like to hug us. And, you know, I got nothing, nothing wrong with that. There but, can be a lot of healing in a hug. But Joe Biden, he'd be hitting all the erogenous zones. I know what he's doing. I, creepy. I mean, honestly, creepy Joe. We knew this was going to be an issue. <laughs> No one really has time to go to the post office. You're busy. Who's got time for all that traffic, parking, lugging all your mail and packages? It's a real hassle. That's why you need Stamps.com, one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. Stamps.com eliminates trips to the post office and saves you money with discounts that you can't even get at the post office. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer. Whether you're a small office and invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you get $0.05 off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money. It's no wonder over 700,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. 
I personally love Stamps.com. Here at LPN, we use it all the time. Without their help, we would spend a lot more time lugging our merch, letters, and packages from the studio to the post office. Stamps.com saves us time and money and helps us focus on bringing you the shows you love. No matter what you need to ship and send, you'll love Stamps.com. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Top Hat. That's Stamps.com. Enter Top Hat. One of the most important things we do for our health every day is brushing our teeth. Yet most of us don't do it properly. Quip is a better electric toothbrush created by dentists and designers. Quip was designed to make brushing your teeth more simple, affordable, and even enjoyable. So many of us brush too hard and a lot of other electric toothbrushes are way too abrasive. So the Quip is packed with sensitive sonic vibrations that get your teeth nice and clean but are gentle enough on your sensitive gums. There's a built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides, helping guide a full and even clean. That's great because up to 90% of us don't brush for the full two minutes or don't clean evenly. Quip is one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the American Dental Association and has thousands of verified five-star reviews. I love my Quip because it's so easy to travel with. I love that there's no wires or chargers. I just slide on the cover, toss it into my carry-on, and I am good to go. That's why I love Quip and why they're backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash topat right now, you get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash topat. All right, everyone. Well, uh, please uh, listen to this interview with Megan Yebos. It's powerful. It's important. And uh, I will be back here uh, right after the interview. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? I am honored to have with me. She is the co-founder of the People for the Enforcement of Rape Laws, or PEARL. Uh, Megan Ebos is with us. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. So we were just talking a little bit off air about uh, how the conversation of enforcing rape laws has sort of been, I don't know, uh, overshadowed by by larger political stories. And I just feel like we're not focusing on what we were supposed to be focusing on two years ago, which is the so-called rape backlog and uh, what is actually happening regarding uh, criminal justice in this uh, in this area. So maybe you could just tell our audience a little bit about your experience and why this issue is so important to you. But uh, perhaps just start with your personal experience. And I know it's extremely, extremely difficult. No, 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 it's fine. Um, it's kind of funny that I'm talking about like my experience, even in the context of Me Too, because Me Too is so much not about the criminal justice system. Mm. Well, mine did, does involve that. Right. My work does. But so I got involved in this issue like accidentally. Um, in 2003, I was 16 and I was attacked in my home by a stranger who was wearing a mask over his face. And I couldn't identify him at all. Um, he threatened to come back and kill me and my family if I reported to the police. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but 
I, he survived, I survived and he left my home and then I reported to the police. Well, and you took that so, threat pretty seriously, right? Cause he was kind of armed and stuff like that. Oh, he had a knife to my throat. So, I mean, and he claimed to know where I lived and he had clearly stopped me and planned out. He was familiar with the inside of my home. Um, mm. And uh, I was only home alone every day for like 30 minutes. So he knew my exact comings and goings. And, and so for all I mm. knew, he was going to come back. And so I, I, I had had no contact with the criminal justice system and mm. neither has anyone in my family. So I thought, oh, my God, um, I need to report this to the police so they can stop this guy right right and uh um like protect me because i'm afraid he's gonna kill me and my family like right. he's gonna come back he clearly knows how to get into my house so what happened so you called the police which is which was brave number one i called the police immediately yeah the police treated me like a suspect and tried <sighs> to find uh inconsistencies in the way that i answered their questions and they they kind of like they like did good cop bad cop to me they like threatened to arrest me for filing a false police report oh my god so this is the same day that you were just raped you were just raped at knife point you called the cops and then the, the cops are sort of interrogating you oh and t totally interrogating like asking me if i had had a boyfriend that i had pissed off like i had never had a boyfriend i was <sighs> like such a a goody goody like so i mean i was very confused like i i, I just i was confused right. like in addition to the shock and the trauma of the attack i was just very confused my family was confused like my mom witnessed them asking me all these questions and they asked her if i had a lying problem oh. and um so my mom like overheard them i think threatening me at one point and she said like stop my daughter does not have a lying problem like she doesn't skip school she makes good grades like she does and as if and as if you did have a lying problem or as if you did skip school or as if you did do drugs as if that would make it be like well i guess she deserved it then i mean it's so it's such a sad yeah, exactly that i mean that's what's chilling about this because a lot of people wouldn't have had their mother there to vouch for their character or they don't have you know they're not a goody goody like i was right. so that they couldn't be vouched for maybe someone had been skipping school the day they were raped um or if i was in a middle class nice neighborhood so i it, it's it's disturbing to mm. think what else, what's going on with people you know when the circumstances are not as favorable you right. know to me as mine were so my mom insisted that i go get a forensic exam okay so that you know it was i it's hard for me to remember how long it was after the attack and right. like i really can't even remember anything from the forensic exam mm -hmm. but i remember that after i had the exam my mom told me that the detect my sex crimes detective who was a female mm -hmm. came she told my mom <laughs> um she told my mom that my rape kit showed that I was not raped. Oh, my God. Like, my forensic exam showed that I was not raped. Like, she told her that the night 
of the exam. Like, what is? Do you know what the? Uh, what? How does the rape kit tell, or how does the exam? What are they looking for to to prove if someone is raped or not raped? Well, I mean, it, it just depends on who they like, who you're talking about. This this detective was set out to discredit my claim, mm. and. I mean, you see this dynamic in a lot of criminal cases, a lot of innocence cases mm-hmm. where police uh, develop their theory and then they pursue it at the expense of everything else. Mm-hmm. So she and some other people, um, their agenda was to prove that I was lying and I had not been raped. So Ugh. they were just, they were, they have a lot of ways that they will just claim to things that they'll claim that right. that supposedly prove so she claimed that i since i didn't have any like bleeding mm. like in my genital area and i didn't have any outward injuries that showed that i was not raped oh, so i yeah. just i also want to mention okay. i didn't resist my rapist he is a serial rapist like i i'll later talk about but some of the other victims that i know of did resist and um he became more and more violent over time and Mm. and you know a lot of them actually did have physical injuries um he broke one victim's back because she tried to resist um he stabbed them like so a lot of them even did have physical injuries other than the rape unlike me and the police still treated them the same way so that that should they they just make up whatever they can mm-hmm. uh, to prove their original or whatever theory they want to go with. So anyway, that that's just completely shocking. Mm. Like my family was in shock, like along with me. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the so-called rape backlog because uh, I love you. You had a great uh, YouTube video that you sent me um, talking about this so-called backlog, which it doesn't. It doesn't exist because they're simply not testing them. Um, Backlogging mm-hmm. sort of implies that they're working on it, but it doesn't seem uh, like they are. But let's just get to that. But before we do that, um, because these officers, because the police didn't want to look into this and actually investigate, can you just tell a little bit about the serial rapist? How many more women did he have a chance to harm? And what ended up happening with that? Yeah, he... Um he attacked a 12-year-old girl two days later who oh was, a, I think, within a mile of me. And so I, we, my family learned that because my parents called the sex crimes detective every day after my attack. I mean, this was two days later. Like, so they were calling and asking, you know, trying to follow up however they could. Right. And then this, so my officer begrudgingly like admitted to my mom or dad that yes, there was another case where the very specific circumstances of my rape, a 12 year old reported that like in your same area, <sighs> but we have no reason to believe that a, a crime crimes occurred or B if they did occur that they're connected well, why the hell would these people did they just think there was some epidemic of young girls making up stories of being raped in this suburban community I, I just don't understand how the cops wouldn't put these two things together I don't know I couldn't speculate what they actually think oh you my know God. what law enforcement seems so arbitrary sometimes yeah 
So this guy, he's out there, and how many years did it take before the cops finally freaking did something? In 2010, he stalked and raped a woman in the same neighborhood who happened to be the wife of a man who at the time was a police officer. Mm. And she was very uh, brutalized in addition to the rape. Um, But the police still uh, acted really nonchalant and tried, tried to undermine her and just, uh, you know, not investigate the case. And her husband was outraged. and, And so he pressed them. My understanding is that any investigation into her case was because he pressed the police department to investigate it. And, uh, and even then this man has told me that at, uh, at work, the other officers mocked him, um, because his wife was raped. Like he, his supervisor, I think it was like during one of the meetings in front of everyone, like joked and, and said like, so do you think she was really raped? Like, like as a joke, like, so, um, he pressed for the department to test her rape kit and then for them to look and see if there were any other unsolved rape cases from the area that matched like the, the general facts, which were like very specific. Right. Um, Right. Even when he did that, the, the police department still dragged their feet on, on doing anything, um, on investigating her case and trying to connect any other unsolved cases. The woman's husband realized that a credit card was taken from her wallet. And so um, he tracked down surveillance footage, I think, from a Walmart Mm. where the, the man who stole her credit card was could be seen like a granular image and then he pressed for the police department to like go to the news media and like ask the public if they can help identifying this person um wow but they didn't do that until two years later they so they they still dragged their feet so two years later um was when i saw a news story or my mom did and she she like sent it to me and it was they still hadn't caught him at this point but they the story was like there's an unknown possible serial rapist in this area like the police are asking you to help identify this um this suspect right and so i like i i was so traumatized that that i had tried to repress like what had happened, mm-hmm. like in a very unhealthy way. I went through the next, the nine years after my rape in a, a, just a very unhealthy state. I was, I was, I was in denial and I hadn't processed what had happened to me because the way that the police responded to me made it so that I couldn't process it because they just said that it didn't happen to me. So like I right. tried to tell myself that it didn't happen to me because that was the only way that I could live. So it mm. felt so I, but I assumed that they would have tested my rape kit because that was the reason given for, for even doing it. Right. So let's talk about that. Let's, let's go on. So, so they ended up arresting this man. 
Um, and he is currently in prison, correct? He is in prison now. He pled guilty to, I think, seven more attacks. Oh but it, like, he was a prolific, prolific rapist. Oh. I was, I mean, he like two attacks in two days. In in my case, wow. in two thousand three, and, and he was like stalking people, like very, very calculating it. It blows my mind, like how anyone was able to do anything like this. Like, right. But anyway, he's in prison. Okay. He pled guilty. He got 178 years for, um, I don't know how many counts of rape and burglary and other things. When that happened, did you feel did you feel a little closure when that happened? And we'll talk about the the rape kits here in a second. But th- when he finally no. pled guilty, did yeah? How, what was your emotional state then? No, absolutely not because. It was so confusing to all of the victims. Uh, I had talked to some of the others by the time he pled guilty. And we all had so many questions. Mm-hmm. And, and law enforcement wasn't answering any of our questions. And it, it was just like, how could you, how did this happen? Like, right. he had been arrested many times in the intervening years. Right. A- at one point, he was arrested for a statutory rape case where he admitted he like signed a confession to drugging and raping an underage girl. And that case was dismissed, but they took his DNA at that time. And if they, that was, that was a year after my rape. So if they had processed that rape kit, they, Mm. and then, so they had many, many opportunities to stop this person. If they were truly, you know, using forensic evidence, Right. So this is a total betrayal of the public trust on the part of the police department. That's one way to to put it. Absolutely. But but they they had been so secretive. Right. That I was very upset when I found out that he wanted to plead guilty mm. because I wanted this to go to trial because I was mm. I was desperate like for the public to to know how this and to find out myself how the actual investigation like went down right and and they're still taking that uh that's pretty much under seal at this point still yeah pretty much they're they're still very very um secretive so let's talk let's talk about the rape kit so you went through everything you did everything right you called the police you went to the hospital you had a horrible uh you had to get physically examined after being physically assaulted which i'm sure is not a pleasurable experience and then you weren't believed. What uh, happened with your rape kit, and how is that indicative of what's happened to thousands and thousands of other rape kits? I later learned that the police had not tested my rape kit until uh, apparently 2012. Oh, my God. The time at which point, that was when I called them after seeing the news story. Okay. So at this time, there was no untested rape kit, like news media, really. And so I, like, I was in complete shock. Right. They never gave really any definitive answers about what they did with my rape kit. I really found out the details in 2014 when the local newspaper did an investigation into how the police had handled the reports against this man hmm. or the, the reports. He was an unknown assailant in most of the reports. But. Okay. 
So what's going on? Because I know this is, again, we're talking to Megan Yibos. Uh, she is the co-founder of the People for Enforcement of Rape Laws. You, It, it can also be known as Pearl. Um, so what is going on now? And then I want to talk about media. I want to talk about how, again, we're losing sight of what we sh- what we should have focus on here, which is the very tangible problem uh, of not testing these rape kits and the so so called backlog. What have you learned uh, through your experience now as being an activist, as being a fighter um, for people uh, to have their voices heard when it comes to their uh, when it comes to their physical assault? What's going on now with the backlog? Is there any movement or? Is is there some positive things happening? or? Okay, well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to point out why it's not a backlog, like you just said, Ben. <laughs> um, so this is the word that is commonly used in the news media, but um, it's, it's incorrect and misleading okay. because the definition of a backlog is, is something that has yet to be done, but, but you've, like, tried to get it done right right and that is completely off base for a phenomenon or a case like mine where the police didn't send my rape kit to a lab for testing and that's what you when you hear about untested rape kits in in cities we're you're hearing about rape kits that the police never sent anywhere and it, when they, if we are allowed to know, like, what went on in the investigations, mm-hmm. you will see that oftentimes there, there was no investigation done. Sometimes you will see notation of the cops saying things like they said to me to try to dissuade the victim or, you know, intimidate or harass victims. But right. other times you don't see anything. There's no... Sometimes there's no file. So what what is the is this just is this something I want to know your thought. Is this just laziness on the part of the police or do you think this is something more nefarious? Is this something um, you know, you mentioned government when we were talking on Twitter. Is this something that is nefarious to protect maybe people in power who uh, perhaps have uh, committed such crimes or what is or is it just laziness? What do you think? I would say it's definitely nefarious. It's more, I I think it has more to do with the way that we measure police performance and the fact that people, like politicians, campaign on bringing crime numbers down. Mm -hmm. And when they talk about that, they're only talking about reported crimes. But um, when when we expect the police to show success through numbers of reported crimes, Mm We're inviting them to manipulate those numbers. And um, our measurement of success has nothing to do with the quality of the police services rendered. It's, it's all about numbers. It's not just rape, but it, when you have untested rape kits, it, that's, that's like kind of them getting caught red-handed. And it's a gruesome, like shocking, like byproduct of the police manipulating the numbers of things. Right. So in some ways, the cops trying to convince you that you weren't raped, that's for their bottom line. That's so they can say, oh, no, we didn't have a rape here. We didn't have the rape yes. of a 12-year-old. That's what they do. To, and they get, I guess, so they, so they benefit 
from the idea of yes. not having a, a crime take place. Yes, but it, but it depends on where you are. Because I was in a nice area, and I remember, like, I, I have memories of some of the, the officers making comments like, this is a really nice area, and right. we just, we don't really have crime like that here. I, I, I have to say, if I had been in another, like, a, a non-nice area, let's say, like, I wonder if the cops would have actually been, like, willing to take, accept my report so mm. that they could, it would justify, like, the political narrative of, like, oh, this bad neighborhood that we have to devote, devote more resources into. Right. But um, you can't, like, we have to remember how closely the crime rate and property values are. That was going to be my question. That's Thank you so much for bringing that up. Do you think that that does have something to do, uh, that, that you like read my mind there, um, so you think because you do have a high property value, this is supposed to be a glorious neighborhood, it comes down to, I guess, real estate to some degree? I think it does. I think when you see chambers of commerce, it's not just residential, like, Chambers of Commerce, they openly say, like, we have to fight crime so that businesses will move here and people will mm. want to move their families here, or at least in Memphis, where I am still living, where it's, like, hard to attract people to come here. But that that's built into their approach is, is like, marketing cities right. as desirable places for corporations and families. And so it would negatively affect the local economy in the eyes definitely, of the police. Definitely. So that I want to get to your the the Twitter conversation we were having. Uh, you said that you wanted to talk about the collusion between entertainment uh, between entertainment media, news media, and government um, to basically promote the, this idea uh, again of the backlog. What do you mean by that? Where, where does where does news media and entertainment media and government sort of collide mm -hmm. on this issue? Yeah, like if this were a Venn diagram, like the center would probably be like NBC. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like um, NBC, specifically NBC, Law and Order, SBU. Yes, I know you have a lot to say about, Mar what is it, Marissa Hardity? Hardy Har Marichka. Yes. We should be so lucky to utter her name. I, I know. Um, so Joe Biden made a guest appearance on Law and Order SVU, like last year or the year before, as himself. But Detective Olivia Benson, Marishka's character, a sex crimes detective. Joe Biden came on the show. From my under my understanding, is that he congratulated Olivia Benson on her efforts to end the backlog <sighs> of rape kids. So he can do it on TV, but obviously in real life that's not possible because it's not happening. Oh, no, he does it in real life, too. I'm just trying to, like, this is the most, like, egregious thing that I can think of. Like, mm. that show portrays itself as, like, ripped from the headlines. And, right. like, a lot of people think that, like, they'll concede maybe that parts of the show are, like, unrealistic, but then they still think that, like, the subject matter... Is accurate. So what's what's the biggest issue? Is the biggest issue with you the idea that these detectives go and put on their detective caps as soon as they see anything, and they're gonna they're hell bent on solving the crime because that wasn't the experience that most people have, specifically yourself in this case. Is that the biggest issue with Law and Order, or, or what do you think it is? 
I cannot watch Law and Order because it's too. I've tried to watch it. It like it's so infuriating and bad that I can't mm-hmm. like emotionally. I can't. So I. But I've seen clips, and it's it's my understanding that the Law and Order franchise was initially um, like one of the things that set it apart from other crime programming was that it portrayed law enforcement in a positive light. Right. Whereas other programming, my understanding is it was, they would show like a heroic defense attorney, like free, mm-hmm. freeing an innocent person. Right. Or it would show the cops frame, framed someone. Mm-hmm. Like, so like Dick Wolf's like thing was, was he consulted with Linda Fairstein, um, like an infamous, former prosecutor in New York um, uh-huh. for this series. But, so that's, that's a, a criticism. Um, like it portrays law enforcement as like our culture's saving force. Mm-hmm. And the solution is someone going to prison. Right. And it definitely idealizes law enforcement. I'm not aware of it really showing any kind of police corruption, much less, like police like uh abuse like in my experience but or with if it does it's i think it's my understanding is that it's portrayed as like bad apples that are a disgrace to like the heroic cops right right i think it shows prosecutors in a very idealized light as well like as heroic figures and and so that it's like th- that show is like it's a, not only a show it's like a way of life it's, right. it's like a culture oh absolutely and, and and to then have olivia benson so we had like a fictionalized idealized version of law enforcement and then my understanding is that sbu is all about sex crimes yes that's special so, special victims unit yeah <laughs> lucky us they show this idealized version they show her character Olivia Benson who was raped like repeatedly throughout the series I just learned like she's constantly being attacked and she's getting erotically raped like it's actually it's 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 kind of it would be funny like if I weren't if I didn't have like my other issues like with her like it's actually kind of funny like right they, they they eroticize her and then they also try to market the show as like starting a cultural conversation, like and like being for survivors. But like I can tell you that like those scenes would be very like triggering for me and in other in previous years of my life. Like that would right. to see her eroticized rapes, like I there have to be rapists just foaming at the mouth mm. like loving it right. to watch this show that, that's a great uh valid complaint about the entertainment media and then about the news media i was just reminded because i read your article on brock turner of course the uh the famous uh case the brock turner case it was all over television news um how do you think tv news is doing because you know i've said this before if you only get your news from television your mind is going to be so warped it's all owned by the same corporations they are just pulling the strings and they are just dividing this country but where would you like to see or what's wrong right now with the coverage perhaps the brock turner coverage just the just the coverage in general of rape 
I mean, it's too much to even say, like, with just, in general, um, there, there's just like an unquestioned narrative with all journalism, I feel like. Yeah. Oh, are you just talking about TV news, though? Yeah, just television news. Okay, just TV. Like, the stories that they present are always too short to be, like, an actual, like, newsworthy piece. Mm. It's just, it's not news. It's just entertainment, like. Right. Or it's it's more, like, advertisement by certain interests, like. Mm-hmm. It's press releases. Yeah, just uh, absolutely uh, amplified. They put a megaphone uh, next to some press releases and make some stories bigger than others. They just do, yeah, they read the press releases and then that's just the story. Right. Do you think there's something with the way that our television news works? I mean, the way I see it is it's a circle and really the television news programming is just there to facilitate ads. That's kind of the way the television Mm -hmm. uh, works in this country. Do you think because it's ad-driven that the subject of rape is too... I want to maybe off-putting, I guess, for their mainstream audience. They're like, they're looking at MSNBC as like, well, we have uh, women from the ages of, you know, maybe 45 to 65. That's our audience. They don't want to hear about rape. They want to hear about Russian collusion for another five hours. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that has something to do with us not having? Because, yeah, television news, they they say this is a national conversation. And I'm like, well, it's pretty one-sided and all y'all seem to be pretty stupid. (laughs) Um, But do do you think that is one of the reasons we don't have a good conversation about this topic um i don't know because from my perspective there is actually like a very strong conversation going on it's just a bad one i i feel like people news media is more happy than ever to run certain certain content regarding like sexual malfeasance like me too stories i feel like that's that is like a great draw now so like there i feel like the like the time is better than ever for if you have like a certain rape story, it'll be all over the place. Right. And do you feel like your story is not one that would make the, uh, the cut because perhaps it's, it's too intense. I just, there's been so much reporting on the rape kit backlog and it's, it's hard to, for any publication to have to do the lifting of going back and re reporting something and to have to admit or like to look like they were wrong before. Right. Yeah. The only thing that I can like comfort myself with is that possibly maybe sometime in the far future, someone will look back and like question how this was covered. Maybe more information will be available in the future to get back to the collusion. Like Olivia Benson, AKA Mariska Hargitay, is the president and founder of the Joyful Heart Foundation, mm-hmm. which is now apparently the nation's authoritative resource on untested rape kits. Okay. And sadly, she testifies before Congress. Mm-hmm. She, uh, they, they're the authoritative source quoted in any news media covering this, and it's always covered in their idiotic backlog way right um they their way which calls it a backlog and like goes out of its way to like connect the problems to what they actually are which was like what the police did right she goes to press conferences with actual law enforcement 
And where's her costume from the show? So her, her her detective costume. Yeah. Um, she has a, like a large and mobilized like fandom online that I, I I've never dealt with fandoms before, but it's outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> like they're very aggressive and a- they, aggressive in what a, sense? A lot of them are mentally ill. Yeah. I mean, how is have you personally been attacked by by them? Um, I I, I don't want to be like one of those people that's like, oh, I'm attacked on the internet. Well, I mean, it, hap- it happens all the of time. Of course, so. of course, yeah. they they're very mobilized and they they also include like interns at joyful heart foundation Mm. who like are doing it while they're interning there so i'm assuming at the direction of this group under like false names so so getting back just to the backlog how can we just thank you so much for being on the show again megan yebos co-founder of the people uh for the enforcement of rape laws or pearl um just last thank you so much for taking the time but just lastly how would you like can you just frame the conversation the way that we should be talking about it for me personally just so i can talk about the conversation uh in a uh in a more constructive way how would you like the conversation framed and what should we be talking about yeah, um, like I'm not trying to police anyone's language. Like the, there's been so much media that's been prearranged that is this same narrative that I like can't blame people like for for framing it that way. Like some people ask me like, well, what what would you call it instead? But like it, I don't think that it needs its own noun. We, there's there's it's a matter of unsubmitted evidence. Mm. Evidence that the police did not submit to a lab. There's nothing right. special about a rape kit other than the trauma, you know, to the victim. That, but but in terms of evidence, it's just biological evidence. It's not like magic. Right. It's, so it's it's pieces of evidence that the police didn't send to a lab. Um, <sighs> when we talk about innocence cases, we don't talk about. There's no magic noun. Like I I I don't like the way that it rape is. I don't like any effort to make rape like different from other crimes. Mm. Like I think that it needs to be viewed as a crime, just as a crime and investigated as a crime and not so stigmatized like to the victim. And you know, it's interesting. I'm just thinking about it. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, innocence, Uh, rape kits very well make clear some people as well who were perhaps prosecuted wrongly. That's, true but with a big but that in these cases the cops didn't do anything so there probably weren't any convictions mm, okay but it's possible it's possible yeah especially maybe in in very old cases where there wasn't dna testing if, if they re-examined the mm-hmm. rape kit so mm-hmm. that's that's definitely good we we just need to be scrutinizing what the police are doing mm-hmm. like and what we demand that they do and and the quality of services that they are providing yeah. it's just, just be very suspicious when you see politicians campaigning on crime because mm-hmm. it's like a red flag that they're going to be manipulating numbers and yeah. it's no different with rape yeah absolutely that's why there's a couple of uh, former uh, prosecutors running out right now with the Democrats, and I'm like, I don't mm-hmm. necessarily trust them. Um, it being mm-hmm. a political show, exactly. do you have do you have anyone that you like politically? Just lastly, anyone anyone uh, interesting you? 
No. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the answer that the vast majority of Americans uh, would give. So you're on the pulse. You're on the political pulse of the country. Yeah, everyone is is an abject disappointment. (laughs) I I agree Uh, in many ways. Um, All right, Megan Ebos. Again, co-founder for the people for the enforcement of rape laws. Uh, let's see. Do you want to plug your Twitter? Perhaps people can follow you there to get more information. Oh, sure. Uh, thanks for asking. It's MEY621 at Twitter. It's my old AOL screen name. Oh, nice. So, yeah, thanks again for having me, Ben. I'm a fan of your work. So oh, thank you so much, man. awesome to talk. Hell yeah. Thank you so much for being on. All right, everyone, there it is. That was the interview with Megan Yebos. Powerful. Thank you so much, Megan, for being on the show. I've spoken with her a couple of times, and, uh, you know, she is just, she is a powerful um, a powerful voice when it comes to the so-called backlog. This is something that we need to address in this country, and uh, hopefully we can. And that's why when we hear about, you know, prosecutors running or all of this You know, low crime rates. I mean, I thought it was just fascinating when it comes to the low crime rates in the context of real estate. I mean, that is really interesting to me. So, yeah. All right, everyone. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening. Hang in there. Everything is going to be all right. It's going to be an exciting year. And uh, we're going to get through it. As always, if you're going through a loss of any kind, you know, it, uh, it doesn't get any better. But at the same time, you know, it's just we're all together. It's all good. We're still here. Um, is there anything, Travis? Just rise above the bullshit because the bullshit is coming harder and oh faster my God. Yeah, it is. than ever before. And we're not even, it's not even 2020 yet. No, we're not even, we're not really in the thick of it. Of course, June will be the first debates and I personally cannot wait, but I understand I'm Your an outlier. Your little heads are going to swivel off at the no, amount of no. spin and BS. That's Honestly, we can't trust corporate news. Uh, it, television news specifically is just horrible. And of course the internet too. I mean, there's not a lot, there's more news than ever and we're getting dumber and that's on purpose and for a reason because there's a lot of dumb people uh, talking. And of course, not me. Not me. No way. No like, way. I think, but I mean, but, uh, you know me. I always say take everything with a grain of salt here. The only good, the only good candidate for president is at this point is probably going to be like a 12 second video of a of a baby pig eating a watermelon. Like, that's well, I who would, we should I would vote for. That's that. who we should be voting. If for. you're not following Prissy Pig on uh, Instagram, you got to follow Prissy Pig. Really. Prissy Pig. Prissy Pig's amazing. Honestly, number one for sure. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.